1: Hello everyone and welcome back to the New Books in Economics, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Utsav Saxena, and I am one of the hosts for this channel. Today I'm very to have very happy to have Sam the about his new book, Economy Studies: A Guide to Rethinking Economics Education. He has written this book with his co-author, uh, um, Joris Tileman, uh, who unfortunately could not be here with us today. However, I'm very happy to welcome Sam to the show. Sam, welcome. Thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, so to start off, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and maybe about your co-author as well?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, me and Joris, uh, we know each other from uh, the global student network Rethinking Economics uh, because yeah, when we studied economics, we both quickly uh, were quite worried sort of about uh, what we were being taught. So for me, for example, uh, when I started studying economics at university, uh, before, well, the summer before I was like, what does it mean to become an economist? I have no clue. Uh, so I, I bought this book on uh, the history of economic thought, and I was really fascinated by all the ideas, the debates in the history of economics. Uh, and then I got into class and there was a completely different world. So all the debates were not there. It was just about the supply and the demand. And I need to do a lot of mathematics and econometrics which are useful tools, but all of the debate, the history, the developments in sort of in the real world economy, uh, we not in the classroom. Uh, so that was for me quite a big shock. So from the beginning on, I was like, why is this the case? Uh, and I was also really interested in sociology. So in, in the first period, I also took sociology class there. I had to read Adam Smith. I need to read, need to read, uh, Karl Marx as well. Uh, also Max Weber, some other like famous economic thinkers. Which were not in the economics courses so i was from the beginning i think a bit primed to, to be a bit critical of the economics courses i had uh and then yeah in the first year unfortunately there weren't a lot of uh fellow students who were also critical most of them when i asked the critical question like but wait human beings aren't really rational right we also make irrational decisions they were like ah shut up the professor knows what he's talking about you don't know anything so I just want to pass this course and, and get my diploma and get a good job and become rich. I don't need all your critical questions. So I, unfortunately in the first year I felt a bit lonely. Uh, but at the end of the new year, I met Joris and, and the Dutch rethinking economics network. Uh, and since then I've been, yeah, been very much involved and in contact with everyone there. Uh, Joris already was a bit older. He was doing his PhD at the time. He finished last year. Um, so Joris has has been a uh, yeah has been a bit older than me and a bit further in his academic career, uh, but we have worked a lot together. Um, first, first we worked on on the analysis of Dutch economics programs. Uh, we basically try to move the Dutch debate about economics education with numbers, because for economists. Uh, a good story is nice, but they don't really believe you until you can prove it statistically. Uh, so we set up ourselves to to create a yeah quantitative overview of what is being taught in Dutch economics bachelor programs, uh, and that really helped to sort of set us yeah set a ground sort of shared facts for for the Dutch debate. Uh, and then a lot of universities asked us. Um, so, okay, we, I mean, some of them didn't accept it, but most did sort of accept, okay, okay, we can perhaps do a bit, do better, but how then? Uh, and that's of course a very complicated question. And that was sort of our motivation to to write in the first instance, uh, 20 pages. We were like, we're gonna write a short advice for these universities, um, but that ended up becoming, yeah, very quickly we realized, well, 20 pages is not gonna cut it. So it ended up being this book. Um, and perhaps on, on, on the side, Joris was finishing his PhD. He has, he has also worked as an investigative journalist uh, in, in the meantime at uh, the Volkskrant in the Netherlands. Uh, and I've, I yeah, I did my, I finished my bachelor and my master program. Also did an internship at the Ministry of Finance to sort of see how economics is done in practice, not only uh, in theory. Uh, so that has helped us as well. But it was sort of uh, often the writing the book was in the evenings and in the weekends. Uh, but since the last year, we we've been very fortunate to work at this Dutch economic think tank called Our New Economy, uh, and now we have really yeah sort of the resources and time to to actively work on this uh, on this project and to to really change economics education.
1: Wow, that that really sounds that's see I mean what I really find fascinating is that you started from the very beginning right I mean um, so even before you started your university program. You um, actually looked up this uh, textbook about uh, economic history or the history of economic thought. Which one was it? The history of economic thought. Yeah. Oh, history of economic thought. Yeah. Uh, right. uh, Roger so, Beckhouse. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wonderful. So, and I, I know for a fact that, you know, most, most bachelor programs all around the world, really, they don't teach those kind of uh, topics anyway. So, you know, so this brings me to my second question, really, which is that um, you've, you've, you've briefly talked about this, of course, but uh, in your, in your experience, in your um, work, why do you think economics has, okay, let's so not forget why, I mean, uh, what is your diagnosis of uh, the, the problems plaguing economics education today, so to say?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a big, big question. Um, right. I think, right. I think there are uh, a few, a few things that, that really stand out. So from uh, a lot of students and not only the Rethink Economics students, but but just generally a lot of them feel that economics education is just fairly boring, it's just dry, it's it's only sort of the technical aspects uh, and, and that's, I think, kind of odd because um, also in the book we have this nice quote by uh, another famous historian of economic thought, uh, that that economics is the sort of the discipline that started revolutions and that sent men And and not not theoretical men, but just workers on the street and and, and revolt. So so this is not a dry topic at all. It's it's fascinating. Um, But unfortunately, I think the teaching of economics has become fairly dry, focused on purely these more technical skills, with the assumption that often that this is sort of stuff that students will never do at home, because this is so dry, no one is interested to do this. Uh, on the, on the Sunday off, uh, so so we will force them to do this in class, and they can do the interesting, the really engaging stuff in the in their free time. Uh, but I think this has, yeah, this this sort of approach to teaching has, has the unfortunate benefit that students will not do this in their free time, and they will just be turned off by economics in general. Uh, and I think this is especially in, in high schools the case, but I think also at university. So I think by really sort of, well, then I'm already getting in the solution. I'll, 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 I'll keep sure, out sure. that, that for, for later, but, but I think this sort of dry and, and it has a lot of other aspects, of course, that it pretends itself to be completely objective, completely neutral. Uh, and it says all the normative aspects, the values, all the, the sort of moral dilemmas that are really crucial. If you want to understand sort of economic debates, uh, especially a, a lot of the policy debates, of course. That's also what sort of motivates students to see, like, why is this so relevant? And I think, yeah, um, I, th- I think that sort of is really something that, that students struggle a lot with. But then also, if you ask in, in surveys, there's been quite some research uh, among employers of economists, but also among professional economists, uh, that what they learn, these technical skills, that they are often not that useful for most of the work Uh, that economists do so if you want to become an academic economist and you want to publish in the top five journals then of course these are really valuable skills but that's only a very small minority of students who go on to do that most of them will work in a company or in a government agency or just in the financial sector or as consultants so it's way more practical and 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 yeah, in these surveys it comes out, and in interviews, that these more practical skills are sort of not that much the focus in the program, but also just learning how to communicate. How do you talk about all these concepts with non-economists who haven't studied and haven't done all this, uh, yeah, education? So, so I think there are a lot of sort of problems are out there, um, but yeah, luckily also solutions.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that's that's that, again that's really interesting because, um, well. I mean, it's um, one thing that struck out to me in particular, I mean, what you just said about what you just said is that um, so on the one hand, student, you say the students and this has been my my experience as well, that uh, students tend to not like the excessively mathematical or statistical nature of economics programs. But on the other hand, you also have employers like both in the private sector and the government as well who are not really happy with, you know, like the skills that students are coming with after completing their uh, diplomas their masters or whatever the case might be. So why, I mean, again, this is a difficult question and maybe, um, you know, it's a little bit open-ended, but uh, why do you think uh, economics education has, ter- has sort of uh, taken um, um, that route, so to say?
0: Yeah, uh i think it has a quite a quite a long history of sort of how the how the general dis- discipline has evolved over time and then also economics education in general so i think my attempt to to give a short uh sum up of, of how i understand this uh development is is that the discipline of economics uh around the turn to, turn of the to the of the ninety to the 20th century also acquired its name, economics. Before that it was of course of course called political economy. Uh, and around that time it was sort of the idea that we need to be more scientific and less less political or less moral. Uh, and we need to present ourselves uh, as, as being similar to the natural sciences and, and of course uh, physics in, in specific as sort of uh, a model of of how we how you can uh, use yeah, quantitative tools and specifically also the modeling to explain sort of uh, phenomena, um, and this this idea of economics at the time was still I think yeah was still very contested. So we also had of course institutional economics and, and Keynesian economics come on the scene. So so they often also talk about that there was still a pluralism, interwar pluralism. So there were still many different ways of doing economics. Some of which were very deductive. Some were very inductive. Um, but then around, uh, yeah, the sort of the Second World War and the period, uh, and, the, and the the period after that, is more the sort of more technical approach that well, economic problems are just technical issues that if you have the right sort of quantitative tools, you can solve this. Uh, and I think Paul Samuelson is just sort of a very keen example of this. And also for economics education, a really relevant one since he wrote basically the textbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. upon which economics education today is still largely based, uh, obviously with updates and, and some changes, but, but the core, uh, approach to economics education was, was done by him. And, and of course the textbook was in the, in the first instance written for engineering students. So, so also sort of the approach was very much a technical, uh, way of framing economics. So, so I think that sort of way of doing economics. Uh, has has since then been been very dominant, and of there have been changes in the the, the yeah the concrete content of it. Um, but I think also yeah, I, I in my mind it's, it's often also if you if you look in sort of the policy realm, um, I think it also helps to present because yeah you want to make policy more better and and smarter, uh, but also in terms of sort of. The, the dynamics of how policymaking happen it, it helps if you can say, well, we just c- calculated what is the smart option or what the cost-benefit analysis concludes. We just ran the, ran the numbers and then, sir, this is the, the, the smartest option. Now, at the same time, of course, if you look at actual policy debates, economists are always in debate with each other. So it's it's definitely not that simple. Uh, but I think still this this portraying yourself as just being smart, being good with numbers, being calculating. Is I think also sort of part of the story.
1: Wow, that's, I mean that's you know way more comprehensive than you know uh, I could have imagined. So thank you for that. Um, so you know this brings again this you know sort of building on this line. Um, this uh, what you said reminds me of uh, you know what you uh, mentioned in your in the in uh, the answer to my first question, which was that um, you actually read about Adam Smith in a sociology course and not an economics course. And to my mind, that is just so fascinating yeah. because, because on the one hand, you know, even modern textbooks, say, like um, you know, like you mentioned Samuel Paul Samuelson's textbook, you have uh, Gregory Mankiw's textbook, and so on and so forth. Almost all of these textbooks mention um, Adam Smith as the father of economics, right? So to say, but it's interesting that on the one hand, that you know, that reverence is there, of course, and that respect and reverence, both of them, both of these things are there, but at the same time, the sort of um, methodological approach that someone like Adam Smith followed, right? Seeing the economy as Im- being embedded in a larger, you know, sort of um, world that encompasses political and social and so on um, dimensions, that is not really there. And of course you mentioned um, a large part of that could be because, you know, in order to sort of uh, portray economics as a hard science, which has very precise answers. So naturally there has been some trade-off, um, regarding you know preciseness and of course like you know broader thinking as a whole okay so with that you know really wonderful introduction let's now get to the book itself now from the onset um so, um, so and this was sort of my um, preliminary opinion as well i thought this was a textbook but this is not really a textbook right so and um, explain to our readers what exactly this book is
0: yeah, 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 you're not the only one that's uh, since, since we've been starting working on this, it has been a bit confusing. What is this? Is this a textbook? No, it's not. Uh, but it's a book about economics education. So it's, mm-hmm. I think it's um, it's more a book about so it's really a book for teachers. Uh, so it's not really a book that you say all, your, all the students buy it and, and this is the, the book we will use in, in this course. Uh, I still think for, for students, it can, of course, also be very informative, but I think it's more for the uh, students that are actually involved in sort of how to redesign and reform economics education. It's more meant for them, uh, but it's sort of a guide uh, to, to how to design economics courses and programs. So if you are on the bachelor uh, program committee or in the master, or if you are either the dean of the university or you're just a student activist, or just a course teacher, uh, it's really a sort of a tool uh, for, for you. Um, so we hope to, in the beginning, we set out some general foundations, uh, which are just general principles, which can inform decisions. Uh, then the building blocks are more concrete bundles of skills and knowledge that can be taught in courses. And then we have some more practical tools. Um, so yeah, it's, a, it's a sort of a, a weird in-between book, uh, but hopefully it can be sort of a practical useful book for teachers and students.
1: Yeah, that's one. And, you know, I will say that, you know, even though you do mention that um, uh, it is primarily for instructors and, you know, people who design curriculum and curriculums and so on. But um, I do, I also feel that even students of economics who are perhaps not Um, you know, very satisfied with, you know, what they are learning. And like you mentioned, right, um, even in your bachelor program, uh, you had a lot of, I mean, it started off with you alone, but after a while, you did see that people were not really satisfied with what they are learning. Okay, so now uh, regarding the structure of the book. Now you start off, uh, the book has three parts, and you start off with part one, which is foundations. Then you have part two, building blocks, and part three, the tools. Um, so, so, explain uh, explain to us uh, why you chose this particular structure, and then we can sort of move on to the individual, uh, like, the parts themselves.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, when we started out writing, uh, or, yeah, writing the 20-pager that we planned initially, uh, we were thinking of writing one blueprint, blueprint like, example program. We were like, we're going to sketch what we want, and this is it. Uh, and very quickly on, we realized, well, there is no such thing as the perfect curriculum uh, that there's just one blueprint blueprint that should be implemented everywhere, uh, because actually you need sort of a diversity of economics programs. Not every program does does need to be the same, uh, and every choice is sort of yeah a trade off. So if you choose to teach one thing, you don't teach another thing. Uh, so so realizing that we said like okay, so we need more general ideas and principles for for economics programs, on which which still sort of. Uh, guide decisions in terms of curriculum and also lead to different programs that are than that there are now, uh, but at the same time allow you to also use them more in a flexible way to create different kind of programs. So, for example, being in Amsterdam, uh, in a program that uh, in a master program that. T- prepares like uh, economists to work in the government. You need a very different program than being in New Delhi, where you uh, prepare economists to work in consultancy. Uh, you, you really need different courses. You don't need the same thing. You need different contexts, different purpose. Um, but yeah, still, we wanted to sort of spell out some general principles that for the international sort of uh, community of, of economics education could still be useful. Um, and in the foundations, it's more a general idea. So so we start with the philosophy, like what is the purpose of economics education just in the first place? Uh, but then also some more general principles of how to do and how not to do sort of economics education. Uh, and then in the building blocks, we focus more on. So what are things you need to learn uh, as an economist, you work in in, in, in a government or in a company, what are the skills that you need to have? What are things you have to need to have practiced in your courses, but also what are the kinds of knowledge and the kinds of ideas you have to become familiar with? So we really try to set out uh, in 10 different chapters, 10 different building blocks, key things that you need to learn somewhere in the program, but not necessarily every course, or perhaps it, it helps to sort of focus on different ones. Uh, so, so there it's more sort of bundles that you can say like one course devoted to one building block, uh, while the general principles in the foundation sort of more apply to all of them. Uh, and then the last part of the book is just way more sort of straightforward. How do you do this in practice? Uh, so there we just have practical tools for how to change an existing program, existing individual courses, or how to create entirely new programs. Uh, And also, how do you do this in, for example, high school education, which is a bit different than in university economics program?
1: Oh, yeah, wonderful. So, okay, so let's start with some of the foundations that you've mentioned. So you mentioned like, so foundation one, um, which is, you know, the philosophy of economy studies with, you know, and I'm purposely putting emphasis on the economy part. So so explain very briefly to, to our listeners as to, you know, what your philosophy of economy studies really is.
0: Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I think we, in that chapter, we really try to, as, as I just said, uh, answer the question like, what is the general goal of e- e- economics education? Uh, and there we go back to an earlier answer, sort of in the discipline, also related a bit to, to the, uh, the question you just asked like, why is it, uh, the, yeah, why is economics how it is today? Mm-hmm. Um, but we go back, sort of, to an earlier definition of the discipline which says economics is basically about studying the economy. Uh, and then you have different varieties of sort of what is the economy, but it often comes down on, on sort of the production, the distribution and the consumption of goods and services. I think in the last decades, we, since sort of the ecological issues have become more prominent, we realized that resource extraction and, and uh, waste disposal is also very much part of this thing called the economy. Um, And the economy is, of course, a very complex, open, big system that is not like a small topic, but it's a big uh, topic that all of us as economists study. Uh, So from this definition of of what economics is, we we say so economics education is preparing experts of the economy. Uh, And then, of course, to work as professional economists in a more practical way. So it's not just sort of about the academic study of the economy, but it's about Having knowledge and having skills on in this field uh, that that allows organizations to to make better decisions. Uh, and we juxtapose this definition of, of what economics education is about to to one that we find at least in the Netherlands, but I think pretty worldwide. Uh, this 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 logic is is quite dominant. Although uh, I wouldn't say that all mainstream economists sort of adhere to it. I think it's a bit more niche. But the idea is that economics is just sort of a method. An approach a way of thinking uh so it's 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 all about rational choice theory it's all about econometrics uh and 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 it's all about mathematical modeling and and it's not so much about what you model or what topic you study or what data you put in your econometric analysis so it can be for example uh just sort of typical economic topics like the labor market or the financial market, but it can just as well be about how people choose their life partners and and who to marry. And then it becomes the marriage market, uh, which is of course, yeah. I think for most people will sound like like a metaphor because uh, at least in the West uh, where I live, for example, it's it's definitely not a market. I think almost never. Um, but this is, uh, yeah, with this approach, you can sort of say you learn a way of thinking, a method. Uh, and so, so it's all about these technical skills. And I think also the implication there is that you don't need, for example, knowledge about uh, the, the real world economy around you. So when I graduated from economics, uh, I was quite shocked to realize, and especially talking to friends who didn't study economics, uh, when they asked me, so so, so Sam, how, how, uh, which sectors does the Netherlands, Dutch economy actually have? Uh, how, does, how do wages, how, how are they negotiated in the Netherlands? And, and what does the Ministry of Economic Affairs do? And I was pretty shocked that I, I didn't have any answer. This was not at all included in the program. And I think from the philosophy that it's just about learning to think in a certain way, learning technical skills, learning a method that that makes sense because that's not part of what you should do um but in the uh, the definition we put so economy studies studying the economy that is of course very much also part of the the, the yeah the topic for for the education programs
1: wonderful and you know i will say that um, you know i just like just to add to what you said that uh, you mentioned that um you know the way economics is taught i mean your experience uh, you talked about that of course but i will say you know so personally i have um, studied in two two countries for my bachelor then my masters and i have taken courses like on online courses supplementary courses so on from um, like almost i think five or six different countries and i will say that you know economics wow. education is rather i would say homogeneous in the way that you have you know described it's definitely the case. So it's not as if, you know, like maybe the way economics is taught in India is very different from the way it's taught in, say, the Netherlands or in the USA. So for instance, like for my own program, uh, um, almost all uh, the textbooks were American textbooks. So there was very little to distinguish the course material itself from what would be taught in a standard, say, under uh, American undergraduate um, program. So of course, I mean, there's a, I mean, um, there are benefits to that as well that, I mean, there's, you know, easier transfer of knowledge and so on. But that comes with its costs and those are often not discussed. Okay, so now we can move on to say, you know, um, some of the concrete foundations that you've mentioned. And these are all, you know, separate ch- uh, chapters in the first part of your book. So you mentioned these three sort of core um, principles on which your work is based. And that, that is essentially pluralism real world and values. So just very briefly, if you could explain what exactly, you know, all these three mean and then we can move on to like maybe the next section.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And also to tie into what you were saying earlier, like also also my textbooks were also very much US based and I mm-hmm. I agree with you. It, it helps in sort of. Um, yeah, we it doesn't matter where you studied, we can all communicate with each other because sure, we sure. basically studied the, th- the same textbooks. But I do think that, uh, I don't think that's such a black-white trade-off because I do think if, if you, in, a, in an entire bachelor program, for example, you could have some more abstract theory courses where everyone lear- learns from the same textbooks. Everyone learns about Keynes, learns about Adam Smith, learns about Marx, but also about a lot of the more uh, sort of the not the old white guys, but also learn from real, the key Indian thinkers, for example, but also the Chinese and the African oh, and Latin American sure. thinkers. So we all learn about the same economists, but then also in other courses we learn about, about our own economy. Uh, so then you could inform me more about the Indian economy. And I would not be necessarily the expert, but you would be, because you are going to be uh, presumably an economist in India, India. And I I have as if I would work uh, yeah, I will work as an economist in the Netherlands, I should learn more about the Netherlands. So I think then we can also do, at the same time, on this more abstract theory level, communicate mm-hmm. with each other because we learn the same thing. But then also we can inform each other about sort of the details and the specific uh, unique things about our own economies and, and help each other understand. So I, I, I do think it's both possible. I don't think it's mm-hmm. sort of either we all have our own textbooks mm-hmm. and we can't talk with each other or we just all learn American stuff. Uh, I do think taken. we can we can uh, <laughs> learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways... Um, your second question yeah the the principles um i think i've already uh, on on the first one the real world so really learning about the real world i think uh, i I've, I've been ranting on about this
1: no no not at all <laughs> but mostly yeah yes already. i we've mean, so covered
0: really, that about, yeah sure yeah yeah no 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 but uh so so it's really about not learning theory for its own sake but really learning theory to apply it to the real world. Uh, So the goal of theory is is to help you understand what's going on around you and to advise people to make better decisions, whether that's the government or whether that's just a company or an individual. Um, So it's really about learning these practical skills to do that, but also just the the concrete knowledge about the world around us. Uh, And I think there is, again, it's not sort of either or, but it's learning to... It's learning both the academic and the theoretical knowledge and learning the more concrete details in the real world. Um, then the second principle is, is pluralism, which um, is really about learning to think in different ways. So if you want to understand something as complex and, and as difficult as the economy, just one way of looking at it will not sort of give you the full explanation. So if you really want to understand it uh, and and whether that's climate change or whether that's an aging society or whether that's technological change, you need different theoretical approaches because one is going to give you some insights. For example, climate change, neoclassical economics is very useful like with the concept of uh, externalities and you can think very much about carbon pricing and that's very useful to have. But at the same time, understanding, for example, how economic sectors are going through a transition and how technological innovation and social innovation, how that happens. Uh, Yeah, there, there, for example, evolutionary economics can really help you a lot. So the point is not that one approach is wrong and the other is right, but it's about learning students about thinking in different ways and then seeing and determining for themselves, okay, in this problem, I'm looking at at the moment, which approach which perspective gives me most valuable insight so that really helps me advise people to to make the right decisions. so it's thinking flexibly and and learning about different ideas and then the last uh principle values is about learning that um yeah as i said earlier that the, the economy and economic decisions are are often sort of intermersed with sort of moral dilemmas so If we think about raising the minimum wage, this is not just a technical question of sort of, well, uh, if if what sort of what happens to unemployment when you do that, that's, that's of course part of the research. But then the question is, what are sort of the moral trade-offs? So what are different values? Because unemployment is only important to look at if you give it some moral relevance. If you say, well, I think unemployment is bad. And that's, of course, the first step you need to make. And I think often today, this is sort of left implicit. So we don't discuss why should we strive for economic growth? Why should we reduce unemployment? Why should we not want in high inflation? Uh, and, and, and why should we want ecological sustainability? Why should we want equity? And I think this is really a crucial step in analysis that we should do explicitly, because then students become way more sophisticated and able to, to advise decision makers on, on sort of what the moral dilemmas are. And and then it's also um, because today it's often said, well, we, we should be objective, so don't talk about it. And I think that's often not achieving what you want to achieve, because if you want students to be able to distinguish sort of the positive aspect and the normative aspects of issues, the way to do that is to talk about both of them and being able to identify both of them. So, you know, when, you see it, and then I think it's also about being honest when you are not being able to to sort of separate the two, and you say, well, this assumption here has some positive aspects to it, but it also has some normative aspects to it. Uh, and we talk about it, and and we say, well, you can disagree or or agree with it. That's fine. Uh, we are still we still want you to understand it, but you can have your own sort of yeah normative opinion on it. So I think. What we really suggest there is just making students capable of seeing the normative aspects as well and, and, and dealing with them in, in a proper, sophisticated way. So it's not about indoctrinating, teaching them certain values, not at all. But by explaining them, well, you can strive for efficiency. You can also look more at equity. You can also look more at justice, reciprocity, sustainability. There are many different values you could have. And again, I think this is also can also be culture-specific. Uh, the way we think about these things, uh, a word such as fairness or justice can be interpreted in many different ways. Just letting students understand this will will be, make them better economists, and that's that's really the point.
1: Wow, that's uh, very 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 interesting indeed. And I think, in particular, you know, the value part uh, that that really stands out to me because, you know, you're actually talking about having a conversation that really we don't ha- we don't really partake in you know be it our undergraduate courses or um, even like afterwards maybe at a masters or phd level unless you of course you s- decide to specialize in exactly that you know the philosophy of economics or something like that now after soon after this you have a uh, very fascinating um, uh, sort of uh, foundation that you mention here which is sort of diversifying and decolonizing economics now um, as someone you know um, who did grow up in a former colony, and I'm and indeed I'm still here, this was really like uh, I could relate to it quite a bit. So very briefly, if you could just um, talk about what exactly do you mean by this?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. I'm also very curious how, how your experience with with uh, this topic is because, uh, yeah, I, I me and both yours we are Dutch white guys from the Netherlands, <laughs> uh, so so I I. Uh, yeah, I think we need some humility and in, in, in we tried in this chapter to really work together with the international rethinking economics, but also the, the network for decolonizing and diversifying economics to really bring in some insights uh, because I do think, uh, yeah, the chapter is all about sort of not neglecting and, and really taking serious and respecting contributions coming from people not like us, not being white, not being a male, not being from the global north. Uh, because economics really lacks in this regard, uh, and and there's quite some research out on on this topic that, uh, for me, also quite shocking. When I first read it, I was like, "Whoa, I I didn't know uh, that that economics is really lacking behind even some of the more sort of typical beta sciences, which you which you also don't think are, are sort of the most progressive or, uh, yeah, culturally sort of out there, but." Um, there was is, there is just a lot of sort of discrimination in the discipline and, and a lot of it is, of course, very implicit and, and it's not so much in your face anymore, uh, although every now and then it does still happen. So, so I'm not saying that does not happen, but I think it's often way more sort of the implicit biases we have in our heads. And I think with behavioral economics becoming popular, I think more and more economists are, I think, also understanding what this means. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that really just influences sort of the opportunities that uh, people in our discipline have. So so it's really a matter, I think, of just not recognizing the talent and the contributions that are made in the discipline. So it's it's not about just being uh, nice to other people. I think it's just also that that everyone and then the whole discipline can become better. And also, of course, the topic of our book is economics education, and I think there everyone can become, become uh, a better economist if we really recognize these contributions coming from everyone in the world, uh, rather than neglecting them because it was a woman or because it was a black man or uh, because it was someone from a colony. Uh, but but that, that means that all of us sort of are, are not learning about these crucial insights that help us understand the world better. So it's not just about sort of being nice to these other groups. uh, But it's really about making sure everyone becomes a better economist. Uh, And it's also about how we teach in the classroom, making sure that everyone feels free to speak up, feels free to ask a question. And and, uh, again, I think it also relates to what we were saying earlier, learning not only about the US system, Mm -hmm. but learning about how your own economy is organized and and seeing the possibilities that there are in terms of sort of uh, structuring economic processes. Because yeah, all of us can become way more creative if we see the diversity that has existed throughout the world. Uh, so so I think it's, yeah, it's it's a plea for fairness, but also just to make everyone a better economist.
1: Yeah, I love the way you, pu- you put that, because, you know, often, um, you know, um, especially I think um, in certain, um, uh, maybe perhaps not in economics, but in certain other sub- um, disciplines, um, you know, people have really begun to sort of uh, push back against, you know, these... Um, the idea of diversity, which is um, you know, so you kind of make a meritocratic case for diversity as well, which is absolutely wonderful. And you know, th- there's not much I could disagree with, honestly. And um, um, I think why this, you know, this why I'm spending so much time on this, even here, why this, I feel this is so important. It's because um, you know, the the, uh, the sort of uh, levels you mentioned there right so you i mean you of course have economics being a very sort of western-centric discipline and that's okay right i mean that's we've all come to sort of terms with that and but uh, in say you know i know for a fact that you know at least in india like the policymakers, um, um we have come to sort of um, adapt like some of the, some of uh, our theories mm-hmm. and stuff to you know what to local conditions, so to say. So of course in um, the policy world that's kind of happening, but even in academia, right? So I saw this wonderful quote on um, I think it was some social media network where is wherein they said that you know um, scholars in the third world produce localized knowledge, whereas scholars in the first world provide uh, you know uh, they come up with universal knowledge. So, I mean, again, yeah. so that's, it's wonderful that you've mentioned this here, and uh, thank really, thank you for that. Uh, okay. So now we can sort of move on to the next part. And again, um, this is kind of like the, I would say the core of the textbook really, because you have a lot of uh, material um, dedicated to this, um, which is essentially what you call the building blocks of your sort of, you know, new method, method of teaching economics. Now, of course there are 10 blocks. So I'm, uh, we can't, Uh, cover them all here for for the sake of time but um, out of these I would say um, what do you feel is so you mentioned economic history as being one of the building blocks Uh, why do you think that is so important because I really feel that looking at economics um, um, sort of curricula today um, economic history is really one subject that sort of you know kind of been left in the periphery and of course, you do have separate economic history departments, right? So for example, London School of Economics really has a wonderful one. I think the University of Amsterdam also has one. But um, as far as me, ma- and it's interesting because it's not really considered part of mainstream economics because it's a separate department. So um, what role do you think economic history plays in your um, sort of guide, so to say?
0: Yeah, yeah. I was also often very struck by this, that, that even in faculties, Uh, or in universities where they have like a very strong economics faculty and a very strong economic history faculty that they, and and then we often also suggest say, Hey, why don't you ask one of these professors from this economic history uh, faculty to teach one of your courses in, in the bachelor program, just one course in economic history. And then even that, like, it sounds very logical and simple and, and like who would be against that? But even that, unfortunately often doesn't happen. which is, I think is uh, still very odd but I think um, yeah the, the the I think the great thing about economic history is is, is, is I think you can learn a few things uh, and I think that's saying like for a general professional economist because ob- obviously if you go into this field uh, it can provide you with a lot more uh, but I think as a general government or consultant or company or financial economist, what would really helps you uh, grasp it as I think understanding the historical nature sort of, of of the economy. So by that, I mean how the economy is not sort of set in stone. It's not natural laws that are always this case, but it's, it's an historical process and every moment is a bit different than the last one. And, and to really grasp sort of how uncertain the future is uh, I think looking back at the past and looking at history can really help. So so that also doesn't mean you, you need to study sort of the history like ages ago, but you can also just look at sort of in a history book of, of the last year or of the last two years. For example, I think Adam Tew's, uh shutdown, uh, which is all about sort of the economic history of the Corona pandemic is, is I think for a great example of like this is, can be very recent stuff, but through an eye of an economic historian, told so so connecting sort of the different aspects of it and really helping you understand uh how how economies evolve over time um and and i think connected to that it also uh, a bit more general overview of history also helps you understand the moment in we are in now so so knowing a bit about how the economy evolved which with the big aspects of of course the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, but also of course colonialism and, and knowing how sort of the world of today, the financialization, how that emerged, helps you sort of get get a basic idea of, of where we are now and where we might be heading in the heading in the future. And and it can also just show you sort of the diversity of, of things that have existed, of of what is perhaps possible. Uh, because I think if you learn only models, then then this is really sort of your reference point for thinking uh, what is smart, what is possible, what is likely, what is not likely. Uh, and these models are, of course, a useful tool in that regard. But I think history is really a useful one. Uh, yeah, putting the real world sort of out there with all its complexities, with all its uncertainties, all its sort of weird unlikely things that no one thought would ever happen but it did uh and 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 there are many of these cases so that helps i think broaden your mind a bit
1: it's fascinating you mentioned that because you know i was just reading um uh Janik wasserman's wonderful book uh, the the marginal revolutionaries which sort of you know uh, uh looks at the austrian school of economics and how that came about and so you know uh, the austrian school really um, like they're uh, the founding members uh, say, uh, the generation before uh, the Hayeks and the von Mises of the, so they, they, that actually um, started off as a sort of response to the German historical school of economics, which again, like you mentioned, you know, takes into account um, history and and clearly posits that there are no universal laws that um, really uh, you know define how economies and countries and nations really work over time. But again, like um, this sort of conversation again is absolutely absent from our economics programs, and which is again um, maybe for us people who do ha- who have studied in economics, maybe it's sort of expected. But when you talk to people from other disciplines, maybe in um, 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 sociology, political science, and even the harder sciences, really, because like physics and chemistry, be- uh, it's, uh, they're really, you know, they're taking a pack by the fact that, you know, these sort of conversations are really not, um, you know, present in our uh, study programs. Okay, so uh, this brings me to the next question that I wanted to ask you. So you're building block number six that stands out to me, and it's essentially political economic systems. Um, so we've already talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the whole political economy approach and, you know, the role of Adam Smith and, you know, uh, uh, that sort of school of thought, Thomas Malthus, so on and so forth. So, um, so it would be great if you could sort of talk about that a little bit as well, and how it relates to the thinkers that I just mentioned.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's it's. I think the 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 idea of having this course really came. Uh, I think again from when I graduated, and and I was talking to some friends, and they were like, Sam, I've I've been reading a bit about socialism and about capitalism. Uh so, so so can you help me understand that a bit better? And I was like, well, uh good question. Um I did not have that in my economics course. But anyway, what you didn't learn how the economy could look, and you were an economist. Uh so so I think there the the idea was really to sort of help economists uh understand this better because if you look at the public debates uh but also at the more sort of more specific things and challenges that economists work on uh, in their professional lives, it does help a lot to have some understanding of how the larger economic system or political economic system is sort of organized. So so it's not about sort of creating fierce advocates or critics of, of capitalism or of socialism, um, although I think it's also helpful to, to spend some time talking with them and and letting them read some 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 good uh, literature and arguments on on why you uh, can like certain aspects of all these different sort of ways of organizing economy but the point is more about just teaching students what is capitalism because yeah this is often what we say our economy is so you are an economy uh, economist what is that so Learning about concepts like private property, how factor markets are important, how credit mar- markets are important, how capitalist firms operate, just all sort of the basic building blocks of, uh, of, of what a capitalist economy is. But of course, also then indeed learning about the varieties because capitalism is a useful concept, uh, but it's by no means sort of one thing. Uh, it can, be, it can, can look in very different ways. Uh, of course, varieties of capitalism is a very well-known term. Uh, and, and it has been expanded also to, to include way more different varieties. Uh, but this can really be, be helpful. And then again, capitalism is only one political economic system or one set of systems. Uh, there are many others as well that have existed and have been proposed. So helping students to sort of have a basic knowledge of this will allow them to to make better decisions, whether it's at at sort of and it doesn't need to be like about reforming the whole system. But if, if even if you work in a specific sector, whether that might be the energy sector, it helps you a lot if you know in which general bigger system that specific sector operates or that specific company. Uh, so it helps you understand the dynamics. Um, and I think that it used to be really normal to include this more general thinking about the more general system. So as you say, like when this sort of classical political economists, where we're theorizing about economic topics, this was definitely part of what they were doing. Uh, and, and I think it's still also useful to look back at how they were thinking about this. Not that it's sort of perfect what they were thinking, but you can still have some valuable insights coming from there. Um, And I think it has become less normal within the discipline. Although there, are, of course, if you, if you look, there are still quite some economists, and I think over the last decades, an increasing amount that are think thinking about these these issues and topics. So, so I think there is some useful material, but but in the in the economics programs in in, in university, they, they are often not taught. So so that's really our point. Just bring them in, and let students engage with these debates.
1: Sure, sure, uh, wonderful. Um, now you know, so this is, I might be going on a bit of a tangent here, but I do want to ask you this. So one, um, I would say, um, a comment that, you know, I get, uh, not me personally, of course, but you get uh, when um, sort of, uh, you know, when you talk about, say, uh, talking um, reforming economics, education, and so on. So is, uh, is that, you know, you do have a lot of um, researchers and professors and people who are working to incorporate all the things, uh, some, uh, maybe not all, but many of the things that you've mentioned, right? So, um, um, that is to say, you know, a lot of work has been done on ecological economics in the recent uh, that, I mean, with the advent of the, you know, the um, uh, climate, um, advent of climate change as a whole, really, and the importance that it's been given rightly so, maybe a little late, but still. So, there's a lot of work being being done there, um, and Another wonderful thing is that, you know, the whole um, um, feminist, feminist economics branch, which is sort of, which takes into account, like of course, mainstream economics, elements from that topics that uh, economics looks at and takes and combines it with feminist theory from say, so um, um, sociology, from the sociology discipline. So um, in the sense that, this some of this work is already been already being done and some of it not all not all but some of it is entering the mainstream as well so uh where do you think your work really stands in you know in relation to these efforts so to say uh
0: yeah i would say we very much encourage it uh and and, and i i yeah we, we we the thing we really want to uh sort of help facilitate with this book is is incorporating these materials in the economics programs and courses that that we teach um so it's 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 definitely not trying to reinvent the wheel so we don't didn't try to sort of come up with our own theory of how climate change should be solved or understood or how uh, the gender inequality we the theory or the book in that regard is is very much not trying to reinvent the wheel but just learning and building uh, sort of standing on the shoulders of, of of giants uh that there are in the discipline uh, and, and we just want to bring their insights and their ideas and, and whether they are recent or a bit older, whether they come from the global south or the global north, bring them in, into these economics courses. And, and there, of course, we uh, are, I think, still very much limited by the, the textbooks that exist. Uh, so, yeah, our book is not a textbook, So we, but we do refer and look t- to create an overview of all the useful textbooks that, that do exist. Uh, but luckily, on many of these topics, there are very useful textbooks. So it's not a thing that can only be done in the future. I think on certain aspects there could be some better ones, but that there's more than enough to start. Uh, so we, yeah, we hope to facilitate this, and then of course it hopefully can also reinforce itself. So if we teach economics in a different way, we can also make sure that more people come up with new insights on on all these different challenges that we that we are. Uh, seeing in the world, uh, so so I think it can reinforce itself the developments in in research, but also in education.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating you mentioned research because you know the thing is like um, all these efforts they are mostly at the graduate level, right? So you have uh, researchers who are working on these pro- uh, on these uh, problems, uh, the ones that you've mentioned. And they, they publish their, journal, their papers in some, you know, journal somewhere, you know, they might be excellent journals, but they're not read by the majority of the public. And one really fascinating thing that you've mentioned in the book is that, you know, just a small, very small fraction of economics undergraduates really go on to do, you know, PhD programs and become researchers. So I, what, what was the percentage, 3% or something like that, right?
0: Yeah, 2 to 3%. It depends a bit on the country which you look at, sure, but, it, sure. but that's sort of the the range. So it's right. really so, the vast majority does mm-hmm. not.
1: <laughs> right. So uh, that's why I think, you know, that the, your, um, your approach really assumes a lot of importance because while there is a lot of work being done, that's, again, that's much of it isn't accessible to the public at large. And even, like you mentioned, economics graduates, they don't just go on to graduate school, right? The vast majority goes on, um, in the private goes on to uh, be become employees in the private sector. They join multilateral organizations, central banks, governments. Um, and the list really goes on. Entrepreneurs, right? Okay, so yeah, so okay, that's out of the way. But let's let's get back to our uh, you know um, original path. And so you have a block on research methods on the philosophy of science. Now this is in particular quite interesting because. Um while there's a lot of effort, I mean, there has been a, quite a bit of effort into um, introducing research methods in economics in various programs. Um, but this is mostly limited to, as you, as you would know, right, maybe statistics and mathematics, right? And so keeping this in mind, um, how, how, how is what you um, really uh, advocate for? How, how, how does that extend the current paradigm, so to say?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you say, it is already sort of uh, extending at the moment. And I think uh, like doing experiments, for example, was really a no go a few decades ago, but these days it's becoming way more popular and mainstream. So in that regard, we are seeing sort of the, the adoption of new research methods and economics programs. Uh, and also I think in the terms, the way we teach statistics and econometric analysis, there are also quite some differences uh, learning to think a bit more critically. I, I, I think about sort of how to do causal inference uh, that's, that's definitely hap- happening. But um, on the, if you look, take a step back and look a bit broader uh, th- there, there are still many things that we don't do. So for example, well, one thing that I really think is very valuable for any economist to, to learn more about is where does the data come from? You can be fantastic at analyzing them with the most sophisticated uh, and advanced tools and, and techniques. But if you don't know what, what goes into your analysis, then you also don't really know what conclusions and what interpretations you can draw from them. So, uh, often the, the, the sort of <laughs> saying is shit goes in, shit goes out. Uh, that that's definitely also, of course, for statistical analysis, if, if you do, yeah, if you collect data in a very wrong way, then you cannot have valuable conclusions if you don't look at how it is collected. So most of the research or the data that we use as economists comes from surveys, uh, often also that comes from sort of government agencies or the tax agency collecting some data. Learning the basics, how do they do this? Uh, and what kind of definitions do they use? How how does sampling work? How does asking a question in a survey work? What biases might there be in terms of the answers people give? Uh, and learning just by giving them one course on survey analysis, letting them design their own survey, teaching them about sort of what to think about and letting them do it and apply it one time. And then probably for the rest of their life, or hopefully at least, they will have, once up once they look up a data set, they will quickly think about, oh, wait, how did they collect this data? Because when I did it, I do this and this, and I know that that's not perfect, but it worked okay, but I, it meant I had to watch out for this. And then they will quickly look up how did they, did these other researchers do it and, and become a bit more better able to, to assess the data that they are using for their econometric analysis. Um, and besides this, uh, there is, of course, a big world of qualitative research. Uh, so not putting everything into a number, but talking to people, doing some more, uh, yeah, some more detailed and qualitative analysis. So also as, as a professional economist, this is really useful. So this is not just sort of for academic research, but knowing how to do an interview. It's a very basic skill that in a lot of organizations is very valuable because if you have to understand an economic problem, it often means that there are many different definitions and opinions on what is actually the problem, what is going on, what could be a good solution and, and learn, learning a bit how to interview people, how to draw insights from, from these conversations is a very basic but very useful skill. Uh, and then also doing a case study. Again, I think in, it's, it's a very basic skill. And, and for example, in business studies, this is very, very common. So if you study business, this is probably what you do all of the time, <laughs> but as economists, we almost never do it. Um, and I think that's just really, really not helpful because yeah, if you work as economists, you work on different cases. So learning how to sort of bring in all the different information on a on case and learning how to sort of bring that together in one analysis uh, can, can just really be useful. Uh, and lastly, besides all the different research methods, uh, also learning to think about the philosophy of science. So, what sort of what are the principles and the assumptions uh, that we base our our sort of methods on? So what can we say about the world uh, and and what I yeah what how can I reflect sort of upon in a more philosophical way upon uh, the conclusions I draw from this? So I think that for example also ties into what you were saying earlier about the debate or between the Austrian school and the historical school uh, in the nineteenth century that was mainly a philosophy of science debate about how, yeah, what is the kind of knowledge we can have about the economy? What What is the economy sort of its right. ontology? Uh, and and there, I think it's not about teaching students one way to think about that again, but just letting them know sort of what are the basic debates there? What are the key concepts that you need to have some understanding of? And, and then it can help you inform uh, making the decisions as to, yeah, once you are as professional economists and you need to study why, i don't know the energy prices are rising and what we should do about it that you can at least reflect upon that a bit in your in your analysis and in your, in the advice you give to to decision makers
1: yeah wonderful and um, it's it's again interesting because uh, you know i I'm, I'm saying this again and again but you know um, for i i in my experience this is not really the case in for most economics programs especially at the undergraduate level right any discussion about um, you know even just just the question of whether economics is whether economics is a science or not, um, yeah. So and again that that doesn't have an easy answer, right? So anyway, I digress for the time being. But let's come come to the third part of your book, um, tools. Now, again, um, we've covered much of this before as well. But um, how 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 do you extend your definition of uh, sort of tools that you use in the classroom how do you extend that beyond sim the simple you know maybe uh, you know sort of blackboard teaching so to say the standard uh, way in which economics is taught any most subjects really um then maybe in economics courses you would have some maybe programming classes for you know statistical packages and stuff like that um but that's about it right uh, please uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and then please, uh, you know, tell us uh, how, as to how your approach sort of builds on these and moves on.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think you're right. Uh, I, th- I think uh, what is also sort of often termed in the literature is, is like a, there is a chalk and talk approach to, to, to sort of teaching, which is a very traditional lecturing. The teacher is in front of the class and... These days, I don't think it's it's on the blackboard. These days, of course, it's also online oh, uh, with, with yeah. perhaps <laughs> some power. So point slides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and slides and, and the students are there to sort of write down and then and reproduce the knowledge and, and work through the models so that they can sort of uh, get through the exam, uh, which is sometimes because also just because of practical reasons of just not having enough teachers is a multiple choice because then you can automate the, the assessment. Uh, but yeah. This is, of course, uh, at, at one point, it's a very practical question of how can you sort of have a more, uh, in, in terms of assessment, how can you engage more with the students? How can you do, for example, uh, uh, essays or debates, or you can do um, just having a um, uh, oral exam so that you can really, really have a different way of sort of assessing their knowledge. Um, but it's also about, I think, the way we teach indeed. So, so rather than just having sort of a lecture and presenting to students what they need to remember, uh, having an interactive discussion with them can be very different. So asking questions and then rather than sort of pushing down students who ask critical questions, instead really sort of stimulating and, and facilitating that. Um, but it's, I think, also a lot more about sort of bringing the real world into the classroom. So that can be guest lecture, which doesn't have to be, uh academic economist. It can be. It can be very interesting, of course. Uh, but it can also just be someone who works at the central bank. And and in your monetary economics course, you learn a bit about sort of how does it actually work? Uh, how does QE look in practice? You do this every day. What does it mean? Uh, and and, and that can that can I think be very helpful. And of course, you can also go outside of the classroom and, and perhaps do a field trip. So you go through through the central bank with the class and and that can of course be a bit more difficult to organize. But uh, I think at the same time, this is, I think, very much possible. So the central bank, of course, there are not so many of them, but if you go to any kind of uh, organization that employs economists, whether that's in the financial sector, consultancy, a government agency, then I do think this is definitely a possibility. Um, And it is also, also just about sort of letting students, for example, reading the newspaper. And reading sort of the news about how the economy evolves, um is often seen as sort of, yeah, that's that's not real academic teaching. Uh that's that's not worth spending your time on. You are at the university, you should be doing some more sophisticated analysis. But I think that's I think to a certain extent that's true. If you really would just read up, and read out loud sort of what is in the newspaper, yeah, then perhaps not. But if you connect it to the things that are being discussed in terms of theories or in terms of methods or in terms of more conceptual knowledge if you are able to connect it for example the news about inflation the new new debates in the newspaper about how high it is what we should do about it and then connecting that to some more general or some theoretical debates about how to understand inflation in the economy what are good solutions what are not so good solutions that this can make it way more interesting for students because otherwise it's just this Abstract term inflation, I don't know who cares about this, but if it really is sort of the debate that is happening all around them, uh, then it that can be way more interesting. Um, yeah, but also here, I think uh, we, we ourselves are, are not necessarily experts in sort of the didactics or the pedagogy of economics, but there is a lot of good material on this. And, and hopefully, and luckily, there are also more and more platforms. Uh, where teachers can engage with each other and, and sort of help each other do this. Uh, so, for example, INET has recently also published a new online platform uh, called INET ED, um, where they allow teachers also among each other so that students can not see uh, what they are saying to each other. But can, they can ch- share, share with each other like, hey, here is, a, here is an exercise you can do in class, or here is my syllabus. And, and also just ask questions like, hey, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting responses from students. They are all on their Zoom, but no one reacts when I ask a question. Just these practical things, um, I think can really help. Uh, so so I think it's also an encouragement to, to value teaching as a practice, I think more in academics. And I think this is not only sort of a fault that economists have, because I think this is sort of the structure that universities are set up in a way that it rewards you if you publish in a lot of journals and of course the top journals, and this is the way to make a career. And if you wanna make a career, being a good teacher is often not really helping you. So, so I think there, what needs to change is also the way we sort of structure universities and, and that we make sure that their education is being valued. Uh, and, and one thing we are hoping to do as well to facilitate this a bit, uh, is at economics conferences we always talk about research uh, but as you said most of the impact perhaps of, of the average economist is mostly through their teaching and not through their research because a lot of the papers we write are not read by many people but the courses we teach are definitely followed by quite, by the, quite a lot of people so just at these conferences bring economists together to talk about their teaching and to really improve in that regard
1: right so uh, so you know both of us have been quite negative I would say about the you know the current state of the economics profession so I would like to just you know um, you know um, change that for a time being so are you aware of any say departments economic departments economic teachers um, who are you know in incorporating some of these techniques in their classrooms and, um, um, so, and also please do talk about, you know, how your book can, and some of the material in it um, um, has a lot of companion resources, which I say available on your website and stuff like that. So yeah, that would be great.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, indeed. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also important to, to really say that out loud. Like I'm, I'm very much a fan of the discipline and, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm very proud and happy to call myself an economist and then to continue in, in this, in this discipline. So it's, It's definitely not sort of a critique saying everything is all bad Uh, i think there is a lot of sort of good developments going on and i just think with this book we just see sort of a really huge opportunity to make economics education better and we just hope to sort of facilitate that a bit more um so yeah in, in terms of uh faculties that are already doing this i think there there is an increasing amount so since yeah, we live in the Netherlands, and I and we have been sort of actively involved in, in the in the debate in the Netherlands over the last years. Uh, so that's the country I know best. Um, here we we are working with multiple universities. So for example, the the Vrije Universiteit in Amsterdam. Uh, the dean there decided uh, that yeah, there there is sort of a large opportunity and a lot of demand also from students to have a different kind of program. Uh, so he decided to create a new bachelor program that will exist next to the old one so that students can choose which kind of economics pro- program they want. Uh, and, and that also allowed us to to help and, and create something completely new. So it's not sort of uh, every professor have to, has to give up the course that they teach now. No, that will still go on. Uh, so that will still all be in place. Uh, but there will just be a parallel, different program. Uh, so I think into sort of the, yeah, the specifics and the politics of sort of faculty, uh, uh, yeah, how, 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 how curriculum change happens there, I think that's an interesting case of, of how it can be done. Um, at other universities, it's a bit more the sort of straightforward way. Uh, so for example, Radboud Universiteit in Nijmegen, where I did my bachelor program as well, uh, or part of it. Um, there they are working on sort of reforming the existing program. So that means taking out some courses, adding in some new ones, but also just the existing micro, macro, international economics. How can we change those courses a bit to, to make them better? Uh, and I think that's probably more what's going to happen at most universities. But at some places, there is really some opportunity to, to start from scratch to create something new. Uh, and I think around the world, you see this quite a lot. So also right now, when we publish the book, we are getting quite some uh, contacts for workshops uh, to, to help this process, to give some advice and, and, and some ideas and indeed also to sort of point uh, towards very useful teaching materials, um, which, uh, yeah, as you say, there there are many. Uh, so so for example the, the the textbooks from Ha-Jung Chiang or from Irena Fostaforo or the economics of context or the also quite popular the core the economy textbooks there are there are many uh, and, and and yeah we which one you use as, as professor or as, as faculty that's that's of course up to you we just try to give you a good overview of, of what is out there um, but I think yeah from, from seeing from our Place I think I think there's an increasing amount of willingness uh, to change, but obviously it also depends on what topic. So incorporating a bit of uh, more uh, behavioral economics, uh, experimental research that's that's becoming very very popular. But for example, going all the way into including ecological, feminist, Marxist, post Keynesian economics, that's a bit more out there and a bit more tricky uh so so i do think there are also sort of small steps you can take as university and i think that's also progress uh so so uh, some universities just take small steps and it's yeah we fully fully applaud that and 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 hope that they will can, can yeah take steps further and while others are going all the way immediately so so that's i think all all positive
1: yeah, and co- definitely, and congratulations for your work, uh, both uh, in uh, Friar University, Amsterdam, and Radboud, right? Um, and hopefully, you know, so best of luck to you with that. So, yeah, so with that, we come to the end of the discussion of the book. And so my guest today has been Sam De monk And we, we spoke about his book, Economy Studies, a guide to rethinking economics education, which he co-authored with Joris Dilliman. Um, The book is published by Amsterdam University Press. Thank you for listening.